Does your mind ever wander when you're listening to a podcast? Do you ever wish you could hit pause and ask the host a question yourself? During today's meal, it's an all-out buffet while I answer listener-submitted questions, and it's quite a spread, which reminds me of today's behavior bite. Breakfast in Iceland. In 2021, my husband and I traveled to Iceland. There was still some COVID protocols intact, so when we checked into our hotel, they told us the unfortunate news that we would have to have room service breakfast. Not only that, but they literally brought us one of everything. There was eggs and bacon and a side salad and toast and ham and cheese, two bananas, a croissant, a Danish, coffee, orange juice, and apple juice. Now, I'm being quite facetious here. Obviously, having room service breakfast was literally one of the best breakfasts I've ever had. And I hope you feel the same with this episode. Welcome to Behavior Bites with Rosie Eats, where we share a virtual meal with behavior analysts, psychologists, educators, and other helping professionals. Building a community can be hard when you're always pouring into others. So pull up a chair, grab your favorite food, and let's dig in. Hello, hello, I'm your host, Rosie, and I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. She's a little quirky, a little silly, but I've known her my entire life. It's me, Rose Jeffers, aka Rosie Eats. I want to stay on a consistent podcast schedule, but we're kind of up against time as we prep for our trip to Korea. So I asked you all to submit questions for me, and you sure delivered. I have an absolute smorgasbord, so we'll have to do this buffet style. Our first round comes from a few friends. First up, Kathy Fox. If behavior analysis changed me as a pet owner, is life with my cats different now? Are they better trained now that I know how to train them well? Well, currently, I believe my mic is good enough that you can't pick up that my oldest, Toki, which is the Korean word for bunny, is crying because he thinks it's time for lunch and he is wrong. But yes, I would say overall, my life as a pet owner has changed. When I was in grad school and I was learning the principles of behavior science, I use a lot of them to shape my cat's behavior. So Toki, he, deep down, I love him, but he is a jerk and he kind of does whatever he wants to do sometimes. But I have trained him to do certain things. For example, we do let him outside on a leash. In order for him to gain access to outside, he has to jump up and hit the doorknob. So that's the first thing that I taught him. Also, when giving him treats, I like when he stands on his hind legs. So I also taught him how to do that through a shaping procedure. Also, some people might not know this, but I also foster kittens. I've been fostering kittens for about three years. Um, I think I'm up to 30-odd kittens and cats that I fostered. So with them... I use a lot of the science to train them on how to be really good pets. So I start early with really uh, handling them and making sure that they are comfortable when uh, humans pick them up, maybe look at their bellies, look in their ears, 
their claws, their mouth, turning them over on their back, which they don't like, but I get them used to that because, you know, some medical procedures, you know, they need to be turned over so vets can look at their bellies. I also train them to kind of position when I feed them. I feed them in the exact same position uh, in the room, and so they know to go to their spots. I also have fostered feral kittens, and so using a lot of our science to socialize them, so just being present in the room with them and talking. I do a lot of just talking when I'm in the room so they can get used to my voice because sometimes the presence isn't enough. I also need to talk. And so I have a lot of clips of me training my own cats and then working on, uh, I had a particularly spicy feral kitten that I really was, I started doubting if I was going to be able to turn her around. And then I have a lot of clips of it working and her really opening up. And it was such a beautiful thing to see. And then Kathy also asked, what are my future goals and how am I planning for them? My husband and I kind of laughed at this because I have all of the goals and how I plan for them is I just do all of them all of the time. (laughs) And I know that's not, (laughs) it's not the smartest way of doing things. Take this, for example, the podcast. So I had an idea to start this podcast. I had been mulling around in my brain for a really long time. Uh, Same with my Sunday chats, which is once a month on a Sunday. I have a group of up to 10 people that kind of come together and vent and, you know, just build a community and network and make friends and stuff like that. Same with my group mentorship with Meg and then my one-to-one mentorship. So all these ideas have been in my head for over a year. And then I just decided to do it (laughs) all at the same time. And my husband, who is amazing, and he's such a planner, he's like, why don't you just do one at a time? And I'm like, no, no, because of my brain, I've been working on it for a year. So I just got to jump in, dive in and do it. I have some other future goals. I think I want to do more continuing ed presentations, maybe present at more conferences. I'm going to be doing my first presentation at the BABA conference in June. So if that goes well, which it probably will because I have an amazing panel, then I want to do more of those bigger goals. I mean, maybe write a book. That's been floating around in my brain for like two years, but I just don't know how to start that. So yeah, I guess I don't really plan. I do a lot of pre-work in my head and then I just do it. That's not great advice for anyone, but it's it's the honest truth. (laughs) Okay, so our second plate is a little more loaded. You know, you go up to the buffet line and you just like, okay, I have more room in my stomach right now. So let me load up my plate. So the first one comes from Carly. She says, how do you stay positive when the ABA world is essentially burning? So for me, staying positive. So one, I I try not to be like toxic positivity. For me to be positive, it takes a lot of forethought and like work to be positive. I used to be a pretty negative person. I saw the world in a really negative way. 
And it really took a toll on my health, on my relationships, both my friendships, my family relationships, my partner relationships. And I just was like, I I can't do this. <laughs> I can't stay negative. Like I'm going down a bad road and like historically my mental health, um, bad things happen when I continue to be negative. So I decided this is even before I got into behavior analysis, I decided to just find things that bring me joy or things that I like. It started really small. I, anytime I thought a negative thought towards a person, I was working in customer service. So that happened all of the time. I forced myself to come up with something that I liked about them. Um, and it started very superficial. You know, if I could pick out, I liked their shirt, their necklace, their earrings. It was very superficial, but the action of doing that helped kind of rewire things in my brain to see more positivity. And then I started picking out points of joy in my own life. And uh, the past year, I've been trying to be more aware of it when I'm noticing joy. And I will take a picture or a video. And so if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see those every once in a while. I'm like, here are some things that brought me joy. And hopefully they bring you joy too. So in terms of staying positive in ABA, <laughs> when it's essentially burning, I am trying to find the positive moments in, in there. And this will actually go hand in hand with the second question by Priscilla, uh, our booked BX. You should follow her. It's a nice bookstagram. She asks, what is my best work advice that I give? And it would be to find or make a community. So how I stay positive is in my community. So I was really lonely when I started. I had a couple good friends at the company that I worked at, but overall, I was really not happy at that company. And so I left and went to another company and it started okay, but it was really lonely. I really didn't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. I didn't really have a community. And so I just started trying to make my own community and I would join every webinar and well, especially in 2020 when all of the free webinars and, and meetups and groups were started I just went to all of them. I would work, you know, the majority of 12 hours a day during the pandemic. And then I would spend my evening hours like on all the different free Zooms and just meeting people and seeing who whose values aligned with mine so I could build a community. And so now I can stay positive for the most part. I mean, I can I'm more of a realist than a optimist or pessimist. Now, if I'm feeling down or something, I can just look at my community and see all of the great things that they're doing. And then maybe we can even collaborate on things. And yeah, overall, that is how I stay positive. And my best advice is really find a community, find mentors. And I don't even mean you necessarily have to pay people to be a mentor, just having colleagues. I mean, I message Meg Solomon from across environments frequently, or even Maddie, we have a little group text going on um, where we throw ideas out and, and bounce ideas off of each other. So 
that is my advice also. Priscilla from Booked BX also asks, do I feel financially responsible? This is a loaded question, but I decided to answer it because I think it's important to talk about uh, finances and how things can change. So currently, I feel like I am relatively financially responsible. I, for the most part, have always worked from like a scarcity frame of mind. I won't go like all the way back to my childhood. Let's just say once I graduated college, I went to school to become a teacher. However, I graduated in 2010, which was pretty much right after the 2008 financial crisis. And so what we were seeing in the education field were not a lot of teachers were retiring. Even if they were hitting that retirement age, they decided to stay on a couple more years. And so there were a big influx of newly certified teachers because when we all went to school, it was like, there's a teacher shortage. You need to become a teacher. And being a teacher aligned with my values. So I thought that would be something that I could do. But then when I graduated, there were no jobs. And so I remember going to an interview and the person interviewing me said a pretty innocuous question. You know, it's it's like, what sets you apart from the other people that are applying for this job? But he threw me off because he said, what sets you apart from the 250 other applicants? And again, I'm a realist. And so it's like, well, what does set me apart from all of them? I mean, there has to be similarities. We all, for the most part, feel like the majority of those 250 people probably went into teaching for similar reasons. So I I was just thrown off. And so I was getting hit from left and right with just applying and not hearing anything or going on interviews and not hearing anything or going for an interview, and then they're like, well, you didn't get the the teacher position, but you could do a sub or something. And I also had graduated with both my bachelor's and my master's, which was a great deal for me uh, in terms of paying for my college. But I think it could have set me up for failure because as a first year teacher, I would have been making like 10 grand more than other first years because I already had my master's. But that's a story for another time. And so I just kind of took what I could get. And so I I worked in an after school program where they capped me at 28 hours at I want to say like $12 an hour, maybe, maybe 11. And so I was poor. And I don't use that word loosely. Like I was straight up poor. My six months later, my student loans were coming due. Uh, I was making next to nothing. I was commuting to work. And I remember literally paying for gas with nickels and dimes. And I just, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was really struggling. I met Alan, my husband at this point, for the most part, I probably only ate maybe two meals a day. 
And if I was eating at home, it was like buttered noodles or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, and then after school, we would have snack. And so I would have snack with them. And that was a meal for me. But I guess I hit it well because Alan, it took him a really long time to realize that he said that he thought I just really liked peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which I do. They're great, but not to have every single day. And so our entire relationship, I was very reliant on him. We didn't really split things 50-50. I paid like what I could and he understood. And it really wasn't until about a year or two ago when I started coming out of that like financial insecurity, but I still had that scarcity mindset. And so everything that I got was either saved or put towards my student loans because I also graduated with like almost a hundred grand in student loans. So, I mean, one, I'm glad I went through it because I was able to, once I started coming out and being more financially secure, and I still had that mindset of, I don't have enough money I was shoving all my money towards student loans. And so I did end up paying off a good chunk of that. So now being financially responsible, I have a better idea of like what money I currently have, what money needs to go out towards bills and the loans that I, that I still hold. But I'm now opening myself up for more fun and more adventure. And uh, like I said in the beginning, we're right now at the time of recording, we're prepping for our trip to Korea, which I just didn't ever think I would be able to do. But when I looked at our finances and I realized we could afford the trip to Korea, which is where his mom and his mom's side of the family live, it just brought me a lot of joy to realize that I can do things like that now. But then also just being aware that I'm maintaining financial security for my whole life. So investing, making sure I have money set aside for retirement and emergency funds definitely is another big one because you never know. Love the company I work for. Don't think that they would fire me or anything, but you just never know. And so making sure you have that emergency fund or if I was unable to work if something happened to me or something happened to Alan. So just making sure I have all of that lined up. That's a very long answer, but <laughs> I think we need our cleanser course. I had some fun questions. So Pauline or Integrated BX asked, what is your favorite childhood memory? I had to sit with this one for a little while. I am going to go with the first time that I got a cat. And so all I wanted was a cat. That's what I asked for for every birthday. I remember it being hot out, but riding to Santa that all for all I wanted for Christmas was a cat. That's all I wanted. And it was my birthday. I had a little birthday party and my mom and dad had set up a scavenger hunt. And so we're running all around the house. And then I'll never forget, it brought us to like the front entryway and I opened it up and there's a little carrier with a cat inside. And I don't remember being around any other friends after that. I'm like, okay, everyone can go home. 
because I just want to play with my cat. It was a gray cat. I named her Rosie because I am just so creative like that. Uh, but she was Rosie with a E-Y, R-O-S-E-Y. And I had her for, I think she lived to like 13 or 14 years old. But yeah, that would be my favorite childhood memory. Meg Solomon asked, what is your favorite thing to eat when you are on a date by yourself? If you asked me this question just a couple years ago, <laughs> I'd be like, um, I don't go out by myself. I don't do anything by myself. This might be surprising to people, but I am very shy. Yeah, I guess we'll go with shy. I have a lot of anxiety, a lot of social anxiety, um, very introverted. Just the the thought a few years ago of like leaving wherever I was to go do something by myself and having to like interact by myself was not something I thought I could do. Um, but now I think one in part working in home in home services is it's a lot of driving around and having to like go go get a coffee or something by myself. But more so, I think conferences have kind of opened that up to me because if I'm traveling to a conference, you know I am researching every single restaurant I can find that is somewhat close, sometimes not close, but then I end up crossing it off my list. But I don't know if I can always get people to come with me. And so I just kind of make plans and, and do them. I did realize when I was in Seattle that people do want to come with me. So I'll, I'll make sure to include people more. I've just been trying to make plans to go try new things. And so I don't think I have a favorite or my like go-to thing when I go out by myself. I think it's just to try something new, especially if I'm in a different part of the world. If it is something like my husband is gone and I'm just having like dinner by myself, then I just go for like junk food, <laughs> order a pizza or something, nothing, nothing too fancy. And then Allie from Allie Thinks said, what is your favorite way to eat a potato? I'm going to have to go with tater tots. I really like a good tater tot, a little crispy. Runner-up would be poutine, but I'm very particular about my poutine. So like the french fries have to be crispy, a nice flavorful gravy, and then the cheese curds have to be that kind of squeaky cheese curd, if you've ever heard of it. I didn't understand that until I had a true squeaky cheese curd. And yes, I was like, now I understand. And then Courtney, one of my RBTs, had a plethora of questions. She asks, what's your go-to comfort food? So my go-to comfort food forever will be donuts. Donuts, always donuts. <laughs> they just bring me a lot of joy. What is your go-to Dunk's order or Dunkin's order? It would be a caramel latte with oat milk, no whipped cream. Courtney also asks, what restaurant do you recommend the most? I, hands down, always recommend Tiger Ramen in Falmouth, Massachusetts. I think that has now become my favorite restaurant. It used to be their first restaurant, which is Water Street Kitchen, which is a little more fancy. I wouldn't say it's like fine dining, but it's a little more fancy. That was my favorite restaurant. Then they opened a ramen restaurant, and now that has become my favorite. Priscilla asks, what is the greatest breakfast you've ever had? 
or what is your comfort breakfast? So I'm going to answer both of these. So I know I did already talk about the Iceland breakfast, but I think if I had to choose my absolute greatest breakfast, another amazing breakfast was when we were on our honeymoon in Hawaii, we did one of these adventures where you got up for the sunrise at the top of a dormant volcano, and then you rode bicycles down the road, down the side of said volcano, which the entire time I thought I was going to die. But I'm like, that's kind of how I feel all the time. So whatever. But we stopped about halfway at this place called the Kula Lodge in Maui. And we had these really large, fluffy pancakes that were covered in macadamia nuts and then smothered in a coconut syrup. Now, I love maple syrup. That's what I usually put in my coffee instead of like sugar or anything. I love maple syrup, hands down. But a coconut syrup in Maui was just top notch. All right. And then my comfort breakfast, I have two answers for this. Comfort is in like I could eat it every morning. I do, which would be just a simple eggs, spinach, and mushrooms. It could be scrambled. It could be uh, an omelet. It could be a frittata. If it's just those three things, I've been eating that for breakfast probably for like four or five years at this point, and I haven't gotten sick of it. So there's that. And then if I need more comfort and fulfillment, and I'm choosing to eat meat, also if, if people don't know this, I'm for the most part, I'm plant-based. I'm like mm, 80, 90% plant-based, but every once in a while, there's something that I just want to have and and I do. So if I'm in that type of mood, like what I eat the morning of my wedding is avocado toast with prosciutto and a fried egg. That is kind of like my top-notch comfort breakfast right there. Okay. Got the fun questions out. Now we're on to the more heavy entrees. So Courtney, my RBT, she gave me like so many questions, one of which was, who's your favorite technician? Which it's not you, Courtney. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't have a favorite. I love all of my children the same. (laughs) Okay, so she said, what is your favorite thing about being a BCBA and what's your least favorite thing? So my favorite thing and what really drives me is seeing the progress that happens and seeing almost like the aha moments uh, with clients, with parents, with RBTs, anything like that. When I can see when the light bulb goes off and they like things are really clicking or they have a great idea, those are the moments that I live for. And I don't, I mean, it's amazing when kids, you know, communicate the first time. All of those are amazing, but I think my favorite is when someone else can make that aha moment where they reiterate something that I've said in the past like oh no like now I realize why you are teaching this or now I realize why you were so passionate about this I think my least favorite is kind of like the logistical things I get really annoyed with scheduling I get a little tired of driving I really don't like writing reports I feel like they are an energy drain for me. So all of those just logistical things that come with probably every job, but those are my least favorite. Do you miss being a technician? Yes and no. (laughs) 
it was a little weird in the beginning because I was definitely a technician that was on the floor, rolling around, picking kids up, giving piggyback rides, just like plowing through trials and and programs, all that stuff. And it was really hard for me to step back because it's not my session. It's, you know, it's the RBT and the client session. And so that took probably a year for that to like really settle in. Uh, when I noticed uh, at a different company, I noticed my RBT like just sitting on the couch while I'm like rolling around and playing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should be supervising. That's why I'm called a supervisor, not <laughs> a technician. I miss that sometimes, but you'll see it come out every once in a while. I'm just like, all right, I need my fill of like squeezing a child, which is <laughs> such a funny statement. Um, but I don't miss all of the other stuff that came with being a technician. I'm I really enjoy having control over what I do. Like I have I like having control over my schedule. I like having control over what programs to write, what targets to target. I didn't really like that part of being a technician of not being in control in that sense. So it's both. Yes and no which is like almost every question you ask me, right? <laughs> we'll wrap up these heavy entrees with one more question from Courtney, which when I read it to my husband, he said, Rose, you're supposed to be doing an easy episode before we leave for Korea. Why are you making yourself work? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I want this episode to have some substance. So Courtney asked, how do you let go of the moments or sessions where you feel like you failed or came up short? Um, I don't. <laughs> I do and I don't. There's still sessions from five, six years ago that still I think about of like, why, why did I do that? Why did I? And a lot of it has to do with some old practices that I did, and I'm saying old, I know that they still happen today. I'm saying old as in stuff that I did in the past and I don't do any longer. A lot of it has to do with hand over hand um, or working on compliance. In those instances, I still think about them because I need to, because I need to remember why I don't do them anymore and the feelings that I had when I was doing them and when I can compare them to what we we are doing now, you know, with my clients and my technicians and the company that I work for, and I can see the progress the clients are making without blocking the doorway or holding a chair in or anything like that. Uh, in terms of Outside of that, of how do I let go of moments and sessions where I feel that I failed when I'm living in my values and I still fail in those instances, I guess I, I can let it go because one is like, this isn't life or death for the most part. You know, I know there's some crisis situations and there's some clients with some really um, serious behaviors and stuff. For the most part, all of my clients right now are in a really good spot knock on wood, um, that if a session just doesn't go well, it's it's okay. Like no one got hurt. 
no one, no one's relationship was ruined, nothing was broken, um, that it's okay if I only ran a few trials or no trials, if I was just managing, like that's fine. Or if they backslid on some targets, like that's all fine. All of that I can shake off because I know it, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And so I can leave those sessions Either I drive home in complete silence or to the next session in complete silence, or I have a playlist of songs that take me out of my head and just are in like in the present moment. And I'll crank those and just sing my heart out. And I am not a singer. So it's usually just like white girl screeching, but anything to get me out of my head and to just move on. And so that's kind of the answer for for that is both is that I have some stuff I've done in the past that I'll continue to think about so that I will always strive to be better and do better and then the stuff that it's like oh that was just kind of a a crappy session or we didn't really get much done I just kind of shake that off because there's always more sessions and there's always you know it's fine I hope that helps All right, so we have come to our dessert. Sarah Tessa asks, how did you meet your husband? I have to give you a little context before I tell you. The year is 2003. The internet was pretty popular. It's relatively new. And what high schoolers like to do was take quizzes online which is what I was doing in 2002 and 2004. There was a website, Spark People or something, and I just took online quizzes. Now, Spark Notes did not like that there were Spark People. I'm going off memory, but I'm pretty sure Spark Notes didn't like that, and so they had to change their name. For whatever reason, they changed their name to OkCupid. And took all of those online quizzes and turned it into a dating site. Now, I was graduating high school and going to college. And so I I just left it dormant. I have no idea what I did with that. You know, I just went on and lived my life and, and abandoned it like you did most, like your Tumblr posts and your live journal and your... Fast forward to I've now graduated college and it's 2011 and had an interesting breakup with someone and saw that they were on OkCupid. And I said, OkCupid, I know that site. Let me pull up my old profile and reactivate it. I get on and I see this very attractive man with a guitar. And I reached out first and his response was, "Um, oh yeah, I saw you too, but you live an hour away so you'd have something that was like super cocky I don't think he even meant it this way now knowing him but like you'll have to be really cool for us to meet up or something like that (laughs) I was like oh I'm cool I'm so cool yeah and then we we had our first date he planned it out we went and uh, got some Spanish tapas and talked for like a really long time and then Yeah, the rest is history. We met online. Back before meeting people online was cool. Back when you didn't want to tell people you met people online, but we did. 
2011, and we've been together ever since. Our last dessert comes from Meg. When you are alone, what do you find the most valuable to fill your cup? And I think the answer is in the name, which is when you are alone. I am true and true, by and by, an introvert where being alone really fills my cup. I could be doing anything. I could be scrolling. I could be watching TV. I could just be hanging out with the cats. Yeah, I think that's the best way to fill my cup. Petting a cat. (laughs) All right, everyone. I am stuffed and I have some other things I should be doing, like packing. But thank you for sharing a bite with me. As always, you can find me on Instagram at rosieeatsbx or my website, rosiebx.com. If you liked this Table for One style, please let me know and I can always add it to the rotation. There's plenty of questions that I didn't get to answer. Um, And if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and subscribe. And until our next meal, bye. Bye.